The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. How do you stand in your relationship with God? Are things right between you and God? And how do you know? You know, we answer that question, how are things between you and God, in uh, uh, many different ways. One way in which we are tempted to answer that question is to look at what we have done, what we're doing, and to judge based on our keeping of the law. Uh, Said differently or more specifically, you know, we look at our life and we say, well, you know, I pay my taxes and I, you know, obey my parents. I love my wife and I, you know, care for my children. Uh, I help that uh, lady to uh, get her groceries into her trunk the other week. And, uh, you know, I show up for work. We have a list of things that we have uh, in our mind uh, maybe even unspoken, that kind of help us to think of ourselves as uh, keeping God's word, of being faithful, of, of doing good things. And we think, or we're tempted to think, on the basis of these things, that God accepts us uh, and, and things are good between us and God. Uh, you know, that is great <laughs> uh, if you are indeed doing all of those things, if you're keeping the whole law. <laughs> but uh, in the book of James, it is written that if you keep the whole law but fail at one point, <laughs> you're accountable for all of it. But we don't even have to go there, just your own personal experience. If you are judging your relationship with God based on the actions that you do that may feel good on a day where you've just done a lot of good things but what if at the end of the day you look back and your conscience is pricked by something that you did a word you spoke in haste 
in anger to someone, a way in which you neglected some relationship. And of course, if we're honest with ourselves, on any given day we can look back and we can see many such things. And then what does that say to us about our relationship with God? No, no, tempted as we might be to use that as a, as a means to measure how our relationship with God is, we cannot look to our works. But that's not the only way that we do it. Sometimes we look at our circumstances. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and we say, you know, I may not be perfect, but, you know, God must like me because I'm healthy. I don't have a huge bank account that's overflowing, but I have enough to get by day to day. I'm blessed with a good relationship with my spouse or my kids. And, you know, they're, they're growing up to be up, upright uh, citizens. And, you know, life, life is good. God must approve of me. <laughs> Things must be good between me and God. And again, that, that may work for you. Uh, if things are going well. (laughs) But things don't always go well, do they? I mean, suffering is a part of every person's life, right? Uh, And when that happens, what kind of questions does that bring up? What holes does that punch in our theory of God's approval based on my circumstances? We can read the scriptures and see that that is no way to judge a relationship with God. Uh, If things are going well, well, you know, the scriptures say that the wicked prosper (laughs) and that righteous people are oppressed. Jesus says, uh, in this world, you will have trouble. He promises suffering for those who follow his way. Uh, And you can simply look at the life of Job to see that one who suffers Uh, does not mean that they are in a bad relationship with God or that God is somehow punishing them. Uh, We cannot draw those corollaries. And so it's wonderful when we see a passage like our Old Testament lesson today in Isaiah where the people were in uh, a clear state of, uh, of having received God's judgment Based on what they had done, they had rejected God, who had called them, who had formed them uh, through uh, bringing them up out of slavery in Egypt, giving them the land promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. uh, And they had rejected God to worship foreign gods. And over the course of time, through the words of the prophets, it was proclaimed that uh, you're going to reap the benefits of, of this horrible thing that you've done. And so it was that they were carted off in exile to Babylon for generations. And the people there wondered, what is our relationship with, with God now? I, I mean, we aren't able to access the temple. The temple doesn't even exist anymore. We're not in the city where God promised to, to dwell in the land where God had given us. Uh, who are we? And how is our relationship with God? And it's to that people that God sent Isaiah and says, 
you are mine. I have called you by name and you are mine and I am with you and I'm going to bring you home. What a word of grace, that word of promise from God. Based not on what they had done, based not on their circumstances, which, you know, the Babylonians clearly thought their God has abandoned them and maybe they were tempted to think so too, but now here they were and God was saying, you are mine. Despite what you've done, despite your circumstances, you're mine. Now when we hear that, does a part of you wish that you could have such a clear word spoken to you? That God would say to you, you are mine. That you are loved. That I'm with you. That things are good between us. Imagine what a word like that would do for you. That is the word that Jesus heard after his baptism. He was praying after he had been baptized and God spoke to him. You are my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This word of affirmation, this word that God spoke claiming his son, Jesus, as his own and saying, you are beloved and and I am pleased with you. That word must have sustained Jesus through the things that would follow. For directly following this event of his baptism, with those words still ringing in his ears, Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days where he hungered and he thirsted and he was tempted by the devil. And through that trial, that experience that he underwent, I'm sure that Jesus returned to again and again those words that God had spoken to him. You are my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And so he was able, in the confidence of that word that had been spoken over him, to endure the suffering that he underwent. Suffering that did not end when he left the wilderness, but in some ways intensified. He went to his hometown, and now for you who are in your hometown, this is a place where you are known, right? This is a part of your identity, right? The people who know you, where, you're, where you can relax, where your uh, identity is, is shaped by these people. And they even say to him, we know you, you're Joseph's son. We know you. And they hear his sermon and they approve. They're like, yeah, this is the hometown kid. Until he keeps preaching. And then they don't like what he has to say. And then they want to kill him. And when your hometown turns on you, (laughs) look out. (laughs) Who do you have to go to? I mean, With all that 
ripped away from you, that source of our identity, the people that you grew up with, all those relationships that helped to form you and make you who you are, when that's all ripped away from you, when they turn on you, where do you go? I think Jesus went to these words that he had heard. The source of his sense of identity, God saying to him, with words he could hear in his ears, you are my son, my beloved, with you I am well pleased. And so it is that even as he went out from his hometown and continued to meet rejection from the very people who should have known him and claimed him and believed him, he went to his own. He came to his own and his own received him not. They rejected him. But he knew the one who had accepted and the one who had put his seal on him his Father in heaven. And so it is that even as he fixed his eyes toward Jerusalem to go to the cross, to undergo that great suffering for his own people and for all people, for you and for me, that unimaginable suffering that he endured for our sake, he knew that even there, despite the circumstances of being nailed to a cross, he knew whose he was. He was the son, the beloved son of the father, and that God was well pleased with him. And there on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he could say, into your hands I commend my spirit. I entrust myself to you who have held me all along. Oh, to have that word, such a word spoken over us. But you know this. You have Some of you at this very font had this word spoken over you. You are my child, my son, my daughter, my beloved one in Christ. With you, I am well pleased. Now, None of this, this word spoken over you, none of that was, was because of anything you had done. You had not earned this in any way. It wasn't through your keeping of the law. It wasn't based on your circumstances. It was sheerly this, that God looked on you through Christ. And when you were baptized into his death and resurrection, You received that seal of the Spirit, God's approval on you, so that when he looks on you in Christ, he looks on you with love. And he says, things are right between us on account of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, when we wake up in the morning and we have that word 
of promise be the first thing that we think about? Or when we go to bed at night and we reflect on the day and we think about the things that we've done and not done, but then we receive the consolation of that word of promise that God has spoken over us. What a difference that makes. When you're undergoing suffering, you can hear the words that God spoke to Israel in exile and know that they are words spoken over you so that no matter what waters you go into, they will not overwhelm you. Whatever suffering it is that you are facing, that it will bring to you an appreciation for and a hope for a life that is greater than what we're undergoing right now. So that even if our present circumstances are filled with suffering, we know that that is not God's word on our state, but that God's word over us is Christ. And that things are well between us and God. We're good in God's sight. And so that even when we go through the fires, we will not be burned. They will not consume us. Even though at the end of our days, we meet death itself, that final destination of this mortal life, we know that it is but a gate to eternal life. Not because of anything scientifically you could point to, but because of this word God spoke over you. You are my beloved child in Christ Jesus. With you, I am well pleased. In the name of Jesus. Amen.